Hey there, ladies and gentlemen, this is Mr. P with Mr. P Explorers, and if you are tuning in right now, you are back for yet another episode of Mr. P's Tales from the Road. How the heck are you today? It is a beautiful, beautiful Thursday here in Northeast Ohio. Feels like fall outside. Uh, the sun is out, and the clouds the clouds just have that fall feel to them, and it's finally warm enough where you can walk outside and not sweat to death. It's amazing. It's that perfect weather. Uh, that fall weather is almost upon us, guys, where you can wear your hood hoodie out and not sweat to death and have a great day exploring, doing photography, you know, wherever you happen to be, it's wonderful. The, the summer, while I love summer for certain reasons, I'm very glad that fall is coming and I'm sure you guys are too. Uh, so wherever you're at in the world, I hope you guys are having a great week. This has been a great week for me so far. A very busy week with lots of crazy stuff going on, but productive and that's that's good in any situation. Uh, I got a lot going on in this show today. Um, I, I want to talk a little bit about kind of kind of where I've been uh, exploration-wise and photography-wise as of late. It's kind of been a struggle for me as of lately. Uh, I'm sure you guys can relate at some point in your in your exploratory careers. You kind of know where I'm coming from. Uh, I've been feeling a little burnt out lately. It happens every so often right, where you are going out, and it just seems like you're going through the motions, and that's kind of where I'm at right now, I'm kind of feeling like, oh god, like I feel like I'm hitting the same places over and over again, you know, I hit, I hit a couple places here and there that are new, but it just feels like I keep going back to places I've been, uh, and a lot of that comes from the fact that I've been inviting a lot of my, my colleagues here to, to, to Cleveland to explore, so I've been to a lot of the same places over and over again, there's only, while I love some of the places here in town, there's only so many times you can hit them without being like, alright, you know, I've, I've shot just about every angle I can possibly shoot here, so I'm kind of feeling burnt out, I'm looking forward to getting the hell out of here and going elsewhere, um, Buffalo folks, if you're listening, I'm, I'm looking at you, I would love to come back to Buffalo and hang with you guys, um, we are going to Philadelphia in October, and I'm very excited to do that. We're going to catch up with our friend Seven and do some painting and some shots. We're going to hit Graffiti Pier. It's going to be exciting. Still planning that. Looking forward to getting back to Philly. Always a fun place to go explore uh, with whoever might be there. Um, so if you're if you're a Philly person and you know we'll be there in October, if you're looking if you're looking to maybe hook up, that'd be great. We'd love to do that with you. Um, but yeah, I, I've pulled back a little bit. I'm trying to catch my breath a little bit. I've been doing a lot of editing and a lot of planning, doing some some new, looking at some new ventures here, some new moves, right? As an artist, I always feel the need to pivot and try to head into something new uh, while while keeping it, you know, keeping things fresh. That's the idea here. Uh, I'm not going anywhere, but I'm definitely looking for new to add to the mix. Um, I've been talking with some people about possibly doing something next year where we invite graffiti artists into Cleveland and have them paint somewhere and document the whole thing and maybe do a documentary on it. I don't know. We're, we're trying to figure out something uh, venue-wise. You know, do we, do we do an abandoned building? Do we do some kind of you know, center where we have permission to do it? We'd have to get permission from the city. You know, what, what's all involved? I don't know. I would love to do something with the graffiti community with, with the photography mixed in. Um, you know, we're still talking about that with some people. So that might be a possibility coming up in, in, a, in next year. Next summer we're looking at doing that maybe. Um, but I'll keep you guys posted as we go. But uh, I'm always looking for something new to do, and uh, that's kind of where we're heading. So we will, we will see. Uh, today's story, uh, you know, I, as you guys know, you know me. I love industrial buildings more than anything else. Everybody's got their own thing, and industrial is mine. Um, I want to talk a little bit about one of my favorite places ever, period. In years and years of exploring, one of the places I've been that I could go back to over and over again and still be knocked off my ass when I see this place when I go in there. Um, you know, everybody has those locations, no matter what you do, no matter what one tries, 
entrance is elusive, right? You've spent years scoping out a place. You sit outside of the place wondering what has to be inside those walls, what what treasures are there, right? And all you have uh, are, are welded shut portals you can't access, right? There are places that are just like that where you cannot get in. And sometimes years go by and it just burns, right? You, it, you, you have that itch that each time you pass by the place, your imagination is developing what it's got to be inside, you know, what, what's got to be in there, the holy grail, right? It could be anything, you know, it's a place you absolutely must discover. And it gets into your blood, like you can't help yourself. You want to go to this place. We all have been through this at one time or other. And for me, it happened right here in my own hometown of Cleveland, Ohio, shortly after I began exploring and using a camera to document stuff, way back in 2018, when I started to investigate abandoned locations around town. Um, There's a lot of open stuff in town, but this place in particular uh, stood an array of heavenly light in my mind. Okay, whenever we drive past it, there's just this this ray from heaven would come down in, in, in my imagination. Uh, on what was once a burgeoning uh, clothing factory, a factory where fine suits and and other wonderful clothing was made for Cleveland's masses, a place that lots of uh, older folks in town would remember as being you know the place to go for for suits and and you know wedding type stuff uh, is this hulking yet beautiful behemoth of a building that covers twenty three acres. All right, 23 acres, huge building, once full of workers and feverish activity, but now silent and abandoned, that stood perched on the tired curb of one of Cleveland's main east side streets, a place where hundreds used to work, uh, a place that used to provide jobs for many of the local neighborhood folks, a company who boasted, in all honesty, 700 fussy tailors, and whose guarantee was the saying, the house that value built, a goliath of a building, a gem in Cleveland's industrial crown. Okay, so what is this place I'm talking of? It is none other than the truly impressive Richmond Brothers Factory. Maybe some of you know it, maybe some of you don't. But driving past this place always has brought me a sense of awe and a burning exploratory itch that needed scratching. And whenever we drive past it, you know, it was always out of reach. No matter how we tried to get in, it was professionally sealed. Okay, it was welded, you know, doors were welded shut, you could not enter this building, and it just, oh, drove me nuts. I wanted to see the inside, and it just got worse and worse with time. You guys know how that is. All right, Richmond Brothers is a name I grew up with. Every mall in town, every mall around here had a Richmond store in it where you could get suits and, and, and fine clothes. I remember shopping with my grandparents at the now long-gone Westgate Mall. And, you know, just kind of wandering around the racks, you know, amongst the racks, kind of when you'd hide inside the racks from your parents, right? Um, the racks of new smelling suits, you just, it was, it was a good smell, it was a suit of new clothing. And I'll never forget Richmond Brothers. It was a part of life for decades, for so many in the Cleveland area, until it wasn't. The company went belly up in, in, in 1992, as I was a sophomore in high school, and uh, the, the, the factory stood empty after that, and pretty much has ever since. Uh, no matter who's tried to develop it, and lots of people have tried to, de- to redevelop this, this site without any luck. Uh, so for several years, I started exploring sites in Cleveland. We, we, would, you know, it was like we were getting things going. We would cruise past this place, and it's just this giant monolithic factory, you know, wondering what the insides look like and wanting desperately to get in and explore the cavernous innards of this place, all to no avail. Uh, in a way, she kind of became my great white whale. If you're, you know, I'm definitely dumping a, a literary um, reference here, right? I was like Captain Ahab in the book Moby Dick, and I would chase this thing for years. 
Uh, it became kind of a joke with a lot of other explorers. I, I was so hot to trot on this building. They would laugh. They're like, oh, dude, you're never going to get in there. It's locked solid. You can't, you can't get in. It's just not happening. But as you guys know, all good things come to those who wait. And we'll get into that in a little bit. But let me give you a little bit of history on this factory. All right, The Richmond Brothers Company was originally founded by a Jewish Bavarian immigrant named Henry Richmond Sr. and his brother-in-law and business partner, Joseph Lehman, way down in Portsmouth, Ohio in 1853. So this didn't even start in Cleveland. All right, uh, They were immigrants. Um, they wanted to become closer to a bustling city, and at that time, Cleveland was pretty damn bustling. So to expand the operations and customer base, they moved all of their families and everything up to Cleveland in 1879. And it was originally named the Lehman Richmond Company. All right, uh, It took on the moniker of Richmond Brothers in 1904. When uh, Henry Richmond Sr. and Joseph Lehman retired, they transferred all their ownership to the three sons, right? Henry's three sons, Nathan, Charles, and Henry Jr., so these guys were the core of the beginning of Richmond Brothers. And they had a heavy presence in the area for the 40 years. 40 years. All right? Big time 40 years. Um, they commissioned their first Cleveland factory to be built uh, on East 55th Street in Cleveland. And, uh, you know, they had other operations in town, different little mini factories, but they wanted to put it all under one roof. Uh, it was designed by the Christian Schwarzenberg and Gade Company and was constructed by Hunkin Conkey Construction. That's a crazy name for a construction company. Uh, and it was designated the best built factory in Cleveland in 1917. So it won awards by the Cleveland Chamber of Commerce. It was that, that hot of a building. And it really is. If you drive past it, you'll see this building and just and go, damn, this thing is amazing. Like, it's 100 years old, and it just it looks, it looks fantastic. All right? Lots of flourishes and lots of cool designs and the brickwork, and it's just, it's, it's, you know, for an industrial building, it's a masterpiece. All right? Later additions were added. Uh, so as time went on, they would actually add on to the factory. They started up front, and they, moved, they kept moving back along the street, you know, down, down, down the side streets. Uh, and just kind of, and as you, as as we're gonna find out, as you as we tell the story, there's different portions of the factory that are built in different ways, and they're all connected together, and they all have personality. Each section has its own personality. So in 1924 and 27, they completed the 650,000 square feet of interior space. It's still all there right now. The factory quickly became a landmark. People would drive past this thing, and it's just this domineering building, huge, both inside and out. Okay, 15-foot-high ceilings, large-scale windows, some of the world's largest cutting tables, these long cutting tables. Just imagine ladies all standing, just cutting cloth all day long. Uh, 60 feet long, these tables were. Uh, and it, it, it gave these, these employees working conditions that were unheard of in the garment industry. I mean, if you go back and, and, and read up on the garment industry in the early, uh, early 1900s, it was garbage. They, these ladies had deplorable situations. Uh, Triangle Shirtwaist Factory, look that up. I know I've talked about that in other episodes, but look up the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory disaster in New York, and you'll know what I'm talking about. Uh, factories that were just death traps. This place was built not just for the comfort and, 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 and ease of, of use for the workers, but also for safety. Uh, this place was built with fire escapes all over the place. So, very safe place to work, even, even back then. Um, the federal government was also into this building. Uh, after World War I, the federal government actually approached the Richmond brothers with a proposition to turn the site over to a military occupation. Yeah, they were going to use it as a hospital, a temporary hospital, for returning injured soldiers. And after only one year of owning the building, the Richmond brothers said, okay. I mean, they've, they've only been operational for a year, and they said yes to this. And they agreed to allow the government to, to do that. So 
Cleveland was the first city in the country to place a building at the government's disposal for free. And they used it, you know, as long as World War I was in, in session. And then they went back to Richmond Brothers after that. Um, now, these people, <laughs> the Richmond Brothers, had, for the time, had a very crazy way of doing things. And it was a, a way ahead of its time. In fact, I wish we had more people that ran their businesses like this now. Uh, they were very, very reputable for some crazy things that they did. Uh, it was a family-owned and operated company, and they really wanted to make sure that everybody that worked for them felt like they were part of a family. They, they weren't just workers. They weren't just cogs in the machine. They weren't just working there and could be disposed of at any time. They wanted the people working there to feel like they belonged there. The owners of the company recognized, um, you know, and, and, and they knew all of their 2,000 employees by name. They worked hard to make sure they knew everybody in their employee. I mean, who can say that that happens anymore, right? You know, imagine having your boss walking around and know 2,000 names and know and know who you were and know what was going on in your life and saying hello and how, you know, how's Mary today, right? I mean, imagine, imagine that. It doesn't happen in modern day, not very often. I mean, in smaller companies maybe, but not, not in a 2,000-person factory, okay? The first industrial organization to do this, Okay, they offered two weeks of paid vacation for all employees. This was back at the beginning of the last century. Again, unheard of. They didn't do that. They also instituted paid maternity leave. They gave, they gave women maternity leave. That never happened back then. They said a 36-hour work week, so less than 40 hours. They worked less than most people do now. They didn't have time clocks. They offered their, their people corporate stock options. You could take your, your pay and put it into stocks and, and make money off of your own work. Some crazy ideas here. Um, they, had, they, had, uh, they were able to assist employees during times of, of distress. Like, let's say you had a hard time come up. They're, they had this thing called the Richmond Brothers Foundation that they, they provided no interest loans to employees as they needed it. And you could pay it back as you, as you paid it back. There was no interest. I mean, that doesn't exist. You just can't do that anymore. Nobody does that. As long as I know. I mean, there may be somebody out there that would do that. But, you know, 21st century, it's pretty cutthroat. Nobody's giving anybody anything for free, right? Uh, these guys were viewed as, as progressives, right? And, and, and they kind of set the tone for how workplace regulation laws were going to go. Richmond Brothers were, were innovators. Um, the thing that they did do, though, is they kept unions out of their company. They didn't want unions. They thought that unions ruined the whole family uh, thing that they were doing. They didn't want unions, you know, kind of setting, setting, you know, the, the workers against, uh, you know, the, the administrators. Um, they didn't want that. They wanted everybody to be able to work that out without unions. And I, I guess they did okay with it um, because they were open, you know, for quite a long time. Uh, you know, they basically said the union plan would crush our business. We don't think it's right to put the pressure on our family, on our family, meaning their, their whole, their whole crew. So they were confident in that and, uh, they didn't believe the unions were worth having around. So I don't know later on if that ever came to be, or if they kept that all the way, no idea, but that was the other downside. I'm, I'm, I'm a union guy. I think unions are a good thing, but, uh, that's just me. Um, I think it's good to have, you know, a say in what's going on in your workplace, at all times, especially today when things are so, uh, when things can get nasty. In fact, right now we're looking at an auto, auto workers strike right now in Detroit. If you're listening to this, you know, the auto workers in Detroit are probably going to strike here today, tomorrow. I don't know. So, you know, when, when, when the boss is, is screwing you over, it's good to have some leverage for sure, at least in modern day. Okay. Um, now, uh, you know, the, these guys were, these guys were popular and they were popular with their, with their, with their workers. Um, 
when when Nathan Richmond died at the time of his death, 1941, 2,000 employees actually showed up to his funeral. They they all came not because they were told to, but because they wanted to be there. Like like the entire place showed up at the cemetery, showed up at the funeral, uh, open casket service to to say goodbye. So these guys made an impression on thousands of people, and that's pretty cool. You don't see that very often. Uh, 1969. Things weren't going as well. You know, the clothing industry maybe started to slip a little bit. Um, they actually merged with F.W. Woolworth Company. If you're familiar with Woolworths, they were stores. They had these, these dime stores everywhere. All right, they merged with them. And uh, they, the, then they ran the Richmond brand. They, they owned the brand, and they kept it going for another three decades. Now, that's sad because you guys probably know Woolworths didn't last much longer than the 1980s. All right, the thing things just kind of went nuts for Woolworth. I used to I remember going to a Woolworth when I was a kid. There was one at, at one of the malls that my grandmother would take me to, and we would sit down. They had like a, like a soda fountain counter, and you could get a hot dog, and like it was it was it was the shit. It was the best thing ever. You'd go in there, you could you could you know it was like a big, a big drug store, but they had a, a a sandwich counter too. It was really cool. You don't see that anymore. But anyway, uh, the late eighties rolled around, and Woolworth started to shutter a lot of its subsidiaries. So a lot of the they were trying to sell off some of their companies and, and, and you know trim things. And in nineteen ninety, Richmond Brothers was deemed unstable, and they liquidated the whole damn thing in nineteen ninety two. So after that, that was the last time that factory was active. Uh, it went vacant, and lots of reuse projects have been proposed, but nothing's happened. Uh, lots of people have come up with ideas for it, and just just things fall apart. The last one that I remember happening uh, was when 2009 Chinese investors purchased the site. Yeah, they wanted to renovate. They wanted to create spaces for business. All right, um, guy by the name I want to say his name was Derek. Derek Ng, I think his name was. He was from Hong Kong. He bought this place in 2009, and he wanted to renovate it and turn it into this big business center. Uh, but unfortunately, location is everything. Where this building is located, it's in the hood, and nobody wants to develop it yet. You know, the, the redevelopment process has not reached that street yet. We're getting there, but you know, Cleveland took a really big hit in the in the in 2008, and just nobody, you know, he just he did it way too late, you know, way too late, and uh, it just it just sat there. And I'm sure he was sitting on it, hoping that something would happen, and he sat on it for at least at least a good 12, 13 years, and nothing happened. So. Um, We'll talk more about that guy in a little bit. Um, but sadly, you know, there was a fire in 2011 after this guy bought it. There was a fire in the upper floors. Uh, I don't really, I mean, there's some, there's some areas where there might have been that I, I never noticed anything crazy fire-wise, but I guess they had some kind of fire. But, you know, just this, uh, this whole thing was just kind of a sad epitaph for this progressive, well-respected company that, you know, now it's just dead. It's just this dead building. And when, when you go past it, you get that vibe. You get that vibe. This place used to have an energy to it that was positive. And it's just sitting there. It's kind of, it's just a sad, a sad vibe. Seeing this big, giant, uh, you know, five, six-story building. So, you know, the building went through several sets of hands after closing. Like I said, Chinese investors bought it. Um, which leads us to modern day, or roughly modern day. January of 2020 is where we're at. At this point... My great white whale had eluded me for two years. I've been exploring for two years. And I know that others have been inside. I know that others have been inside. I've seen pictures of it. But the Chinese group that owned it had battened it down tight, professionally. 
We're talking welded bars over every single entrance. Any attempt to open a new entrance was completely thwarted and totally rectified. These guys would show up, like someone would pop something or pop part of a window, and the next day there'd be like metal plates over it. These guys were on it. I don't know if they had security or cameras or what, but it was tight. You could not, you know, you couldn't squeeze in through anything. The guy that owned it, this, this, this Derek Ng guy, was a boss when it came to securing his property. I mean, he had some serious Chinese efficiency going on there. Um, now, that doesn't say people didn't come up with ingenious plans to try to scale the walls. Uh, I know of certain people who did try to climb through second floor windows, you know, climbing up. You know, people that are climbers, I am not a climber. I am uh, gr- gravitically challenged, all right? Um, uh, uh, these are things a guy like me would never be able to attempt. But there were some people that did get in who were able to get some photos and climb back down. So I never could do that, you know? So if we, we would spend every outing into Cleveland's urban wastelands. We would drive around and do what I call making the loop, in quotes, making the loop. We'd make the loop around the factory. We'd troll around slowly, checking for any cracks in the defenses. You know, were there any broken windows, an open door, anything. Um, and finally, on one cold day at the beginning of the year, 2000, 2020, this is before COVID even hit, one of my local partners in crime here in photography calls me frantically in the evening. Okay, he had done the loop that that evening. He had been out doing something, and he's like, I'm going to drive past Richmond and see if it's open. He made the loop, and sure as shit, it was open. Open. With a capital O-P-E-N. And I knew what I had to do. I called off sick from work the next day completely. I was like, ah, we're, we're going. I told him, "Get your, <laughs> clear your schedule. We're getting in there now before anybody can close it back up. So I called off sick from work, and we saddled up early that morning to go harpoon the great white whale at the ass crack of dawn. And as it turned out, someone had had just opened a back door. They didn't just open the back door. They actually pulled the entire metal door out by the frame. The whole frame of the door had been yanked clear of the building, like out of the brick. Somebody had had done something to, I don't know what what the hell they used to do it. It looked like someone hooked a grappling hook onto the door and like pulled it out with a large vehicle. But I don't, I don't know, maybe they used some kind of uh, pneumatic situation. I don't know. I don't know how you would have done that because there's no way to pull a car back there to do that. Somebody completely removed the door from the goddamn frame. Gone. <laughs> like They just yanked it out. And so when you look at it, like there's like a, a way, like the, the door has been pulled back from the wall and you can slide back between it. I just, I couldn't believe it. To this day, I still have no idea how they did it, but regardless, it was done. The door was bent to shit, and when we arrived, we could see the darkness from the street. We knew we were getting in there. So the adrenaline was flowing very hard and very fast as we parked down the street, and we quickly headed for the freshly cut hole in this rusty perimeter fence. It's this old rusty perimeter fence. It's covered in, in vines. All right, this, this big high uh, cyclone fence, right? And it was somebody had cut a hole in it, so, you know, we're looking around. Um, we were deathly afraid of sec- some kind of security showing up because we didn't, we didn't know if, if there was still security. Um, so a hop, skip, and a jump, and a slide past the bent-to-hell doorframe, and we were in. Finally, at long last, we were in Richmond Brothers. And I couldn't have been more excited. I don't think I've ever been more excited to be in a building than I was that day. The ground floor was dimly lit because all the boards across the windows were there. We couldn't really see much down there. And, and, and to, be, to be fair, the, the bottom floor is kind of the most boring of all the floors unless you go out to the courtyards, which we'll get to in a minute. But we decided, you know what, we're going to go up and check and work our way down. We'll go to the top and work our way down. Okay. Now, um, 
as we made our way towards the interiors, we we're poking around the inside, you know, the inside of, of the of the bottom floor. We came upon an area that had a big skylight in it, so there was some light, so we could see some things. And what we found inside of that section blew our minds. Okay, um, we found inside of this section two old and classic pinball games, covered in dust. Like old school pinball, like you would have seen in the seventies, sixties, and seventies. I can't for the memory. I can't remind. I, I can't remember exactly what they were called. I know one of them had something to do with cards, had like jokers on it and stuff. Uh, one was white and one was yellow. And if you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. Two old classic pinball games. We were never sure if those pinball tables were there, you know, from some old break room. Right from you know to entertain the, the the crew during lunch I don't know or if maybe the owner had owned them and was storing them there, but when we went into this room they were standing up against a wall, the skylight was you know the the light from the overhead skylight was kind of shining down upon them this early morning golden rays coming down almost like 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 heaven itself the gods were showing it to us it was amazing, right it was one of the coolest things I had ever seen they were things of glory and I mean that in all senses of the word they were untouched unmarred, unbroken. You probably could have plugged them in and played them. They were that intact. Um, and like I said, they were, they were coated in dust. We had to clean them off. And that, and that tells you something. That means they were probably there unmolested for years. Nobody had touched them for years. And sadly, that's going to change in the coming months in this story as this story goes on. And as years go by, um, how do I put this? People would arrive and uh, completely defile these old beauties in horrible ways. But more on that later. We, uh, we decided to wait uh, on the rest of the ground floor because rumor had it that there might be silent alarms. We didn't know if there was still a little bit of power running to this building. We did not want to risk it. We had heard rumors that there might be silent alarms towards the front offices, and we did not want to set these off and bring the man down upon us, capital M, either in the form of the owner or Cleveland's finest. We did not want the constabulary arriving. All right, better safe than sorry. So we began our first ascent into the guts of Richmond Brothers. And man, oh my God, what a day we had. Okay. Oh, we, we, we ascended what would be the first of, I swear, dozens of staircases that day. I still call this factory the factory of a thousand staircases. Not, not because of the climbing, but because every single staircase is built in some unique way. There's like not one staircase that's the same. Not one looks the same as the other. I know that's crazy. It's a crazy sounding thing, but it's true. Every single staircase looks different. And all of that's probably uh, to do with how the factory was built in different sections over time and how the architectural styles and designs changed as time went on. So, you know, everything looked, this, it looked different. You can tell the different, different years it had been built. Uh, the stairwell we chose to make our way up on, that first stairwell, was pretty cool. It was a double-wide staircase. It was, like, it was like two staircases with a big railing in the middle. And they, they, they basically went all the way up the building. Um, up against the outside of the building, they had straight glass windows. Like, there was no... Uh, you could see everything outside. So there was, like, lots of natural light in the staircase. It wasn't, like, little tiny windows like you see. And, like, the whole front of the staircase was windows to the outside. If someone would have been standing outside, they would have seen us. Luckily, nobody was. Um, but the reason they had these kind of two lanes was for shift changes. You had, you had, a stair, you had the stairwell, and you had... Uh, you had railings in the middle so that during shift change, one side was exit, one, sh one side was entrance. So people that were coming on shift would walk up one side, people leaving would go down the other. And, and it, I guess that's how it worked. Um, 
weirdly all over the place on this stairwell were ping pong balls. There were like thousands of ping pong balls everywhere. You know, why? Who the hell knows? You guys know that in industrial buildings, weird stuff shows up. There's no ex- explanation for why they're there. They're just, there's just shit everywhere. Um, these balls were everywhere. So, you know, literally in every nook and cranny of that stairwell, from multiple levels, there were tiny little ping pong balls all over the place. And of course, being who we are, we decided to kick them down the stairs, right? And it just was, it had that most satisfying, you know, that, that bunk, 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 just falling balls everywhere. Good times. The second floor, that was where we finally got our chance to see how glorious this place really was because uh, the, the light coming through these long, long banks of unbroken, grimy industrial windows, right? This, this light from outside was coming through. And it, it just, it, the whole place just shone like it, it was amazing. The, the light was just kind of off yellow, just beautiful light coming through. Um, the light outside was kind of gloomy, but coming through the windows, it, it changed it into this, this, this bright... I don't even know. It was just I can't even explain the color to you guys. It was kind of like that, right? The filtering through these windows. And it made it very easy to shoot these very long work floors where, where once you would have had machinery and benches of seamstresses, you know, bust an ass to make clothing. That's all gone now, of course. But you, you could see it in your mind where it would have been. And in fact, if you look online, there are tons of photos that are out there. If you type in Richmond Brothers historical photos, you will find a ton of, of photos of what it looked like back in the day with people there. They, they did document a lot of that stuff. So it was, it was pretty neat to see that. Um, we kind of had a bit of a panic as we got to the second floor. We got to the second floor and we're looking around like, oh my God, this is amazing. Like we, we, we were totally not paying attention to anything. Uh, we peek outside the one of the windows towards where my car's parked down below and um, we see this pickup truck pull up right in front of our car, kind of pulls up and pulls in front of where my car is parked, like down the street. I'm like, oh shit, who's this? It was a gray pickup truck, unmarked. We had no clue. You know, is this this guy, like, is he he security? Or like, who the hell is this guy? You know, so of course we were freaking out. We're like, oh shit, we're going to get in trouble. Um, We assumed that there was somebody there to find out what the hell we were doing. Um, As we're peeking around the corners of the window to get an idea, we discover this guy's just some dude eating his late breakfast. He grabbed, uh, you know, a McMuffin from the nearby McDonald's, and he's just chowing down. And we're like, oh, God, we felt like idiots, right? You know, but, you know, a place like that, you don't know. you, You have to be careful. You have to be on your toes. So luckily, we didn't have to worry about it, but, you know. Um, so we continued to explore, right? We continued on through the first, the second floor, completely in awe of this place we'd waited so damn long to see. And man, was it glorious. Oh man, we were there for four hours. Uh, as we ascended the floors, each one was different. Um, there wasn't anything that was the same on any floor. Um, there were different things to see, different floor layouts, different things. Um, you know, they still had the windows on both sides, but there was all kinds of different things set up. There was some rusting machinery there, and it was all natural decay. The building had been standing empty for so long with no human interference. That's how good it had been sealed, that things had really begun to molder, like in the best way possible for what we do, right? There were no tags. There were no uh, no dick drawings on anything. No, you know, The windows were pretty much completely intact. There were no windows. There was a few here and there that were cracked or broken, but for the most part, everything was as it was when the place closed, aside from what they took out and removed. Um, it, it was There were still a couple areas where they had curtains in the windows. No shit, I swear to God, they had curtains. Um, just dusty old curtains that would have been there when the ladies were working. Okay? Um, there were stalactites of calcium leaching down out of the reinforced concrete in the in the ceiling. 
right? Water had been dripping down through cracks and it had taken out the lime and the, and the, the calcium out of the concrete and it had begun to form stalactites hanging down. Some of them were almost several inches. Well, it takes a while to do that. Dripping water, you know, it takes, takes years to do that. So, you know, this place has been abandoned for a couple decades. Uh, the paint, oh my God, the paint, the peeling paint was insane in this building. You know, we're talking decades of freeze and thaw and, you know, every single texture you can imagine on these walls, it was, it was glorious. Like the, the, the camera opportunities in this joint, oh dear Lord, okay? The windows were my favorite because, again, it led in this moody light. This moody light, this grime-covered windows, oh, just beautiful. You guys know what I'm talking about. Some of you have been in a factory, you know that, that gloomy light from the dusty windows. Man. The best part, though, honestly, were the giant puddles of water on the floor. And we're there in the wintertime. We're there in January, so they had frozen. You've got these glistening puddles of water that had frozen, and you're getting these crazy ice reflection shots. All right. Every floor, um, the, the, the columns, you know, we talked about Albert Kahn a couple weeks ago. Uh, Albert Kahn, you know, this was a, a building that was definitely based on his designs. You had the, the long, co- the rows of columns and the windows like we talked about. Um, but the columns were painted this minty green color, this, this, this cool minty green, you know, evergreen color. So you had these reflections bouncing off the ice. You know, just dark, dark ice with just this, these, these green columns. Oh, man, you want to talk about amazing. Um, rust was everywhere. Everything was coated in Any metal surface you could find was covered in rust, you know, decades of rust. You had these thick, dripping icicles hanging down off the window panes from the water. Uh, and again, there was no graffiti. There was no graffiti. Maybe like one or two things that someone had painted years and years ago, but nothing new. Lack of access, you know, it kept pretty much anybody out of there. Unless you were extremely determined, you were not painting in that building. So, you know, these rows and rows of concrete columns were just beautiful, untouched. Nobody had written on them, no one had tagged them, nothing. The best part, though, was that this place was built along a courtyard. It was built in a a giant figure eight design. You get these, like, six floors and, you know, kind of in a big figure eight. And in the middle of, of the factory, you have these giant courtyards. And if you look down into them, there's this big open area inside, and the windows go around on all four sides. And the best part, too, is in this area, you have these crazy, rusting fire escapes going up and down the floors. Now, some of them had been scrapped, but there were still enough to get some crazy shots of it. It was just, ugh. I know I'm sounding like a kid at Christmas, but that's kind of how it was. That's how it was. Okay. Um, you know, you have this 360 degree view of the lines of all the windows on all sides. Oh my God. It was just photography, heaven, photography, heaven. Uh, and the doors where these, these stairwells used to be outside these fire escapes. I told you guys, they had all these safety features, right? They had all these fire escapes. Some of them have been scrapped. So you have these doorways that open up into nothing. It's just, you walk over and it's like five stories down, right? And those made for some cool shots too. You could just kind of look over the edge and, and, and start snapping. Um, on some of the upper levels, there were what must have been bathrooms and locker rooms, but for some reason they had been completely obliterated. I don't know if somebody had started to scrap it out. I don't know, but they, they were, I mean, the only reason you could tell they were bathrooms is because the toilet seats were still there. That was all that was left. There were no doors, no, no stalls, nothing. Even the walls to the bathroom had been knocked out. Like someone was going to take all that out of there. So all these toilets were sitting there in this grimy slush, this frozen slush of these old bathrooms. Like the water had come in. From outside, the snow had blown in, and you had this, like, the toilets were sitting in this this, this, this this frozen puddle of muck. 
That's all. The only way I can explain it. All right. Um, we found on one floor, we found stacks and stacks on, on a pallet. We found stacks and stacks of new window panes, totally covered by old and yellowed layers of newspaper. So someone at one point probably had the idea that they were gonna they were gonna replace a lot of these windows that were broken. You know, probably the probably I'm guessing it was the Chinese dude who was gonna do this, and they never got around to it. I don't know why. I have no idea why it didn't work out. Um, I, I've not been able to find any really any real information as to what happened with that. But we're talking thousands of dollars worth of glass panes just sitting on these on these um, pallets, and they were unbroken. That, that does not happen in a factory anywhere else. You go to Detroit or any other city where you go into the building, like anything that was breakable has been broken long time ago. Nobody had broken any of this glass. It's still sitting there in, in, in layers, all right? Each floor of this place was a decay pornographer's delight, all right? We used to talk about decay porn, right? You know, ruin porn or whatever. I mean, it was just, ugh, thick layers of crunchy, half-frozen grime everywhere, um, just everything slowly falling apart. It was, just, it was entropy to the extreme. Everything was slowly coming apart and falling apart, uh, and it made for crazy subject material. I've never seen a building that was this... Basically, like the gods set it aside for us to find and, 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 and photograph. Um, and at every step, we expected some kind of security to show up. We were, we were waiting for, like, dudes to show up with flashlights, you know, uh, some kind of security, you know, that would, would yell at us and we'd be running through the building, uh, it would, you know, which made this whole trip all the more delicious. The adrenaline was flowing the whole time. It was like a fine, electrically intoxicating wine in the blood. That's what it felt like. I mean, we, we, were, we were waiting for something to happen. Nothing happened, luckily. Now, after several hours, we finally made it to the top floor, and that's where we got some surprises. We got access to the roof. Um, if you've been to Richmond, you know this place I'm talking about, but there is a stairwell on the top floor that leads to the very top of the building. Uh, it's, it's, it's railings, and everything's painted a dark green in that stairwell, but the windows that lead up along the side of the stairwell are completely spray-painted this orangish-red color. So the light coming in through that spray-paint creates this weird red glow inside of the stairwell. It's insane. It's orange-crimson color. So every surface in that stairwell is lit up in that color. So you've got the green and the lines and the color. Just insane. Now, the roof itself was amazing because we had a crazy view of downtown Cleveland. The surrounding neighborhoods, everything around 360 degrees, uh, you could see. And it was a clear it was a clear day at that point. It hadn't started snowing yet, so we had clear shots of everything around us. You, you got the crispest shot I've ever gotten of Cleveland, downtown Cleveland. Um, now, on the roof, you know, we froze our asses off. It was cold that day. You know, the wind was whipping around. The wind was coming off Lake Erie, and we were freezing our asses off. Uh, we almost slipped a few times to an imminent death. You know, we're sliding across this ice that had frozen on, on the rooftop. Uh, the roof itself was not in great condition. I don't know. I haven't been there lately to see what's going on, but it, it was it, it was iffy in certain in certain sections. You could tell the water had started to settle and kind of seep through and weaken that part. I, I don't know. Um, a half inch could have sent any one of us careening in any direction, given one wrong move. So, you know, being up that high and having these these giant courtyards down down below, you know, you really could have slipped and slid and right over the edge. Uh, it would not have been a fun time. <laughs> Six story drop. Okay, um, it was all worth it though for the views. All this wind and 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 cold and and possible death, you know, it was worth it. We got we the amazing views, amazing shots. 
know, the, the shit we do for shots is amazing. Um, it was hard to know where to line up shots for, for these courtyard shots because it was just it was so it was like so much to take in. It was beautiful. As someone who who loves industrial buildings, I I, ra- I rant and rave about these courtyards. Um, I without a picture, it's hard to explain it. You kind of have to experience it to know what I'm talking about. Um, the personality of this building is so complex and just utterly fascinating. And like I've never seen a building quite like it. I'm sure maybe back in the day, Packard Plant in Detroit was like this. Just, just this amazing, vast complex of stuff with so much there to see that you could never run out of things to see, right? Um, of course, Packard is much different now, but this was kind of what I imagined Packard would have been back in the day, uh, just a little smaller, <laughs> okay? Now, we headed back down towards the bottom floors to explore the first area. We wanted to check out the courtyards before we left. We went down a stairwell that looked like every single step had bled gallons of rust and poured it all down the stairwell in this crazy torrent of crimson sludge. So these stairwells were like, it looked like the rust had just kind of coated the stairwell, these metal stairwells with like a river, a sludge river of rust. That's the only way I can explain it. It looked like it was petrified in this crusty, rusty crust of, of, of just layers. And uh, it was my favorite part of the building. I know I've talked about a lot of stuff here, but this was my favorite part of the building on this trip uh, was this stairwell. Uh, it was hard to imagine legions of workers climbing up and down these steps at shift change back when it was all spotless and well-lit with electricity and all of that. You know, these, these metal steps at one time were gleaming and freshly painted. They look like they've been there for, for centuries, not, not decades. That's what it looked like. Uh, that's the only way I can explain it. Uh, eventually we find ourselves back on the, the dark first floor again, uh, staying, still staying away from the front offices. You know, I did go back later on another time to check that out. Not as exciting as we had hoped, but you know, we were, again, we were just warned of those silent alarms. We figured it was better to just not, not try it. Um, you know, there were no active alarms. We found that out later, but we didn't know, and we weren't going to ruin an amazing day by setting something off and having to make a run for it. So we'd have to wait for another day if ever. Um, now, the last area we explored that day, because the snow started to fall when we hit the bottom floor, was the main courtyard. And in that courtyard was a smallish power plant. This place had its own power plant in the center of this courtyard, at the, at the side of this courtyard, that ran the whole factory. Uh, the smokestack was still there. This giant smokestack goes up past the roof, um, past the whole complex. Uh, there's a coal burning situation. All of, all of the mechanisms that had once loaded it up, that had all been scrapped out. All, all the big pieces, parts of that power plant were removed. Like whole, giant holes had been cut in it and everything had been taken out a long time ago. But we were able to go down into the pit that used to be the powerhouse sub-basement and there was all kinds of rusting pipes and pieces, parts left behind. Uh, there was this old, crusty, wooden wheeled cart that must have carried coal or supplies. That was still down there. The best part of this area, though, were the subterranean tunnels. There were tunnels that connected the power plant area to other parts of the factory, and that was a blast to explore. Uh, it's something you do in the wintertime when the water's frozen because we definitely would have gotten wet had we not had ice that day. Still pretty cool, though. In fact, there was one section, one chamber that we couldn't get to. Um, you're going down these tunnels, and you walk down another set of stairs into a deeper basement. Well down in this basement would have been the boilers. There were these giant boilers down there. Um, but as we looked down the stairwell, we noticed that the water level was like five or six feet deep. It was frozen on the top, but you could see down below. You could see all the pieces, parts, and, and 
tools and things that used to be in that part of the building completely underwater. They look like, the best way I can explain it is they look like photos from the Titanic when you see all the metal down there completely shrouded in rust, that kind of thing, like this, that crusty rust that you see on the Titanic photos. All that stuff that was down there, that's what it looked like under this ice. You could see it clear as day. It was that that still of the ice. The ice was that that still. You can see down below. Um, you know, and, and of course it was all it was all covered too in this like settlement. Any any settled sediment had settled on top of everything, and it just it looked like it looked like the Titanic. Uh, now the whole trip through the tunnels kind of reminded me of of One Eyed Willie's caves. Uh, you know, if we were if we were in Astoria in the Goonies, we would have seen caves like this. That's what it reminded me of these these stone caves, um, these old old caves. You know, like any minute the Fratellis would show up wearing security clothing, right? That's kind of what it felt like. But after exploring the tunnels, you know, we come out of the tunnels and the snow had begun to fall in earnest. So we decided that four hours had been enough to capture as much as we could. And finally, we took our leave of the great white whale. Uh, we had vanquished it at last. Uh, we didn't know if we'd ever get a chance to come back. You know, if, if the Chinese guy had anything to say about it, we knew that it would get sealed up pretty quick. So we, we, we were very happy that we were able to at least get in and see the place and, and shoot the place. Um, I waited a few weeks to edit any of my photos because I knew goddamn well as soon as we were out there, as soon as we were there and the photos were out there, the typical stampede would begin and, you know, the slow destruction of the place would begin. And, you know, you guys know how that goes. Uh, even if you don't say where the place is or you don't tell anybody where it is, people know what you're looking at. They know what they're looking at. In Cleveland, people know what that building is. And sure enough, after a couple weeks, I post my photos and the stampede, you know, the, the rush, the gold rush began. Uh, I was not wrong, all right? Even, even you know, not, not mentioning where we were at, everybody knew. Everybody knew. You know, we'd all been looking at this place for a long, long time. We knew the shape of it. We knew what it looked like. You know, we, we, we imagined what it would look like on the inside. People knew exactly where it was at. So, um, you know, the extended hunt was on for everyone. It became the new flavor of the month. And, uh, you know, deluge of explorers near and far started lining up out on the street. You'd see cars all parked out there outside this factory, all racing to get a piece of the action. I can't say I blame them, right? We've all been there. We've all been in that situation. We've all seen somebody post photos of someplace we, we knew was closed. We're like, oh, damn, let's go, right? You, you and your friends load up and you go. Um, it's just what happens. And I got to say, most people were respectful of the old girl. They really were. Most people were very respectful of the building. Um, they went in there, took their shots, you know, like we did, and, and, and left. Most people. However, as you can imagine, things started to happen. Windows started getting broken out. Tags started popping up everywhere. And then something unthinkable happened. Someone went absolutely apeshit insane on the two pinball games that had been kept sacred by the explorers who would be there. Like, explorers, you know, we want to shoot that. We don't want to ruin it. So why would we, why would we do anything to these pinball games? All right? We would leave them there and, and take shots of them, and it was like a sacred thing. You don't, you don't mess with the pinball machines. Right? Some assholes decided to smash every single bit of glass possible on these machines. They broke all of the mechanisms. I don't know if they took a crowbar to it. I don't know what they did, but they were mangled. All right? And they left them both lying sideways on the wet floor. All right, and you know, pinball machines aren't made out of metal. Uh, 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 the, the casing, anyway, is not made out of metal. The sides are, are wood. This press board sides, and they started to soak up the bando juice. All right, bando juice, and they begin to rot. These these the sides begin to rot. 
Um, others would try to set them back up, um, but over the next few years, people would just trash the shit out of them. Uh, I don't know what they're like now. I have no idea. Last time I was there, uh, last winter, they were in pretty sad shape. Like all the mechanisms had been ripped out. There were wires and circuit boards everywhere. Um, just trashed. Uh, this was not the work of an explorer. No real explorer would do something as barbaric as this. I would hope. All right, my guess was either local kids who slid in there to drink and or smoke weed, right, and just figured, well, there's something we can break. We're feeling we're feeling randy today, so let's smash some shit. Uh, or, and I, I, I hope to God this is not true, it's one of those COVID TikTok explorers that was just rambling through the building, right? People who like to, uh, you know, during COVID decided we have nothing better to do, let's go urban exploring, who would show up and inundate these buildings because they wanted, you know, A, 15 minutes of fame on their channel, and B, had nothing else to do during lockdown, right? These asshats would usually be the first ones to start ruining things up. They would show up um, and record their destruction, and I've seen so many videos of this kind of stuff. Not this specifically, but of, you know, kids just just trashing shit in buildings and thinking it's funny. They think it's cool. Oh, people are going to watch this and give me likes. You know, that's what's going on, and that's what happened here. I'm assuming that's what happened here. Now, that's not to say all of them did this. I'm sure there were some good kids that did come in and, and were respectful. But it seems to be a preponderance of individuals in that category who seem to be involved with the drama and the bullshit that erupts in that fashion. All right? We've all seen them. We've all seen them in action. You may even know a few. I don't know. I'm not, again, I'm not saying all of them. I'm saying there's a large group of them from that, that, that crew. Okay? Eventually, after a few months of the revolving door, you know, people coming in and out of the building, the Chinese guy got wise. Um, Because one fine day, that open door was sealed in hermetic fashion. It was welded shut with a bullet, all right? And with that, aside from those who decided to climbing the side of the building to slide in a small open window uh, like orangutans, Richmond Brother, the Richmond Brother factory was once again, you know, it was, it was, a place to be wondered about, but never visited. That's kind of what, what it became again. Uh, it became a sealed-up building again. The Shambhala of Greater Cleveland, as far as abandoned buildings were concerned. Nobody could get in there. It was, it was the Holy Land, you know, the, 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 the Eden that no one could get into, once again. And I, I guess it was kind of good for those pinball machines, although at that point, it probably didn't matter. Now, enter 2022. Apparently, the Chinese dude and his mega corporation buddies uh, began getting impatient um, that anything would ever happen with the property that they bought, and they they you know they, they kept this place intact for so long, and they locked it up like Fort Knox. But there was no they, they saw no profitable way to move forward. He must have decided that you know this is we're not going to be able to do anything with this. Let's sell it um, to someone else who might have some idea what to do with it. And in in twenty two, all right, the, the the Chinese guy put the joint up for sale for 3.5 million bucks and it was bought by a New York redevelopment company with the usual big plans hint hint it's the usual mixed use bs that they usually crow about but nothing ever happens right that's this is kind of how it goes and it's still sitting there today a year later no movement i mean i don't know maybe there's something planned for it i don't know but it's it's you know a lot of times it's all talk and again, the location kind of hurts it. It's in a place where you know development's kind of tough. It's kind of hard to develop an area that's got you know crime and things going on. So let's talk about the new owner real quick. The, the new owner, uh, whoever they may be, whoever these New Yorkers are, clearly does not understand the desire and the willpower of the urban exploration and graffiti communities to enter into a building when the opportunity presents itself. 
these guys showed up and and things changed hands and instantly, almost instantly, this factory reopened for business, so to speak. All right, and by business I mean letting us in. All right, there was a within literally within weeks there was a first floor window open. Uh, someone had ripped that open. I don't know how they had pulled bars off. Maybe they had even cut through it. I don't know. It was a whole door unwelded with boards leading into an old stairwell on the side of the building. Um, openings began forming everywhere. The gold rush had kicked off again, and the wagons began rolling. You had explorers, taggers, curiosity seekers galore uh, began trickling into the to, to the long, silent, sunlit halls of Richmond once again. Um, the new owners, bless their corporate little hearts, try to keep up but they simply don't have the iron will uh, that the former Chinese owner did. Um, silly business persons, right? They don't realize that plywood boards do not keep out those who really, really want access to a location. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? The magical entrance fairy comes along and magically boards are removed and in, in people go. Now, there are a few businesses or houses around the factory you know, on both the side streets, mostly abandoned houses, um, empty lots. There's a couple different things, a couple, couple people living there. But they clearly don't give a shit about what we're doing so long as we stay away from their homes and property. I've never had anybody call the cops on anybody. None of that stuff. As long as you stay away from whatever they got going on, they're going to leave you alone. That's kind of how things in the hood go. Uh, mind your P's and Q's. Mind your business. Right? Uh, I, I had a lot of friends who wanted to come down and see this place. So I had people from, from Detroit and, and from Buffalo and some other places come. They wanted the extended exploratory tour. So I spent a shit ton of time back in this building between last winter and this summer. Um, so it kind of, you know, I've seen a lot at this point. I've shot it so many times. It closes up for brief stints of time, but you can always find a new way in, which tells you that the new owners aren't that serious about whatever it is they plan to do. And very slowly, vandals are knocking out windows and tagging up the place, as happens with pristine places, eventually. If they're opened up for extended periods of time, you guys know how that goes. The pinball machines, oh, God, oi, uh, it pains me. It, it, it literally aches my heart to think about what probably has happened to them since my last visit there. Uh, the last time I was there, they, they, somebody had completely smashed them to bejesus and back. I mean, worse than before. You know, circuit boards everywhere, just glad, just oh, just completely trashed, and 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 you know, all I can say is the damn bastards, whoever they are, like who the hell would do that? Um, you know, whoever they are, like why, why would you do that? As we all know, though, nothing lasts forever. It's a little sad that Richmond Brothers is no longer my great white whale. Right? As you can expect when you've worn all the shine off a place by going so many times, that it totally becomes uber familiar. You've been there so many times that it's not new. It's like, eh, yeah, here I am again. That all caps title of Great White Whale has moved on to other tempting buildings that I have yet to enter that I keep looking at and, and, and waiting for you know some kind of way in you know to explore and document. So it's moved on. Um, you know, I kind of feel bad about that, but that's how things work. Uh, while the massive structure still continues to decay and entropy continues working its dark magic on the place, I still go there and I visit, and I still have a bit of awe and wonder every time I see the sun blazing through the windows, right? Every time I shoot down the concrete columns with the minty green paint, um, every time I see these massive courtyards and all the windows, uh, just all of that stuff. Um, it's still amazing, but I will never see it quite like I did that first time. 
the first time we ever went in there, I felt like a crazed and wild-eyed excitement. You know, it was that excitement of a true believer, a pilgrim entering the most holy of holies for the first time. And that first day was a revelation. This was a place where the overwhelming levels of anticipation, you know, what you're expecting to see, what you've built up in your brain, you know, what you want to explore, it actually matched up with what was actually there. Okay, the photographic treasures that you found inside actually matched up with your anticipation. And something like that doesn't happen very often, if at all, in this hobby. Um, that's kind of how Richmond Brothers was for me. Everything I ever expected it to be, it was that, it was that amazing. Now, um, that being said, I honestly hope in time something good is going to happen to this factory. Uh, a total renovation, you know, redevelopment success story would be awesome. It would be a perfectly satisfying way to continue her history. Rather than the alternative, which we've seen a lot of in the last couple years, right? That morose and depressing demolition tale that would end her long history forever, you know, save for whatever photos we've taken or whatever photos were taken way back in the past by the owners. Um, I would hate to see that happen. Ideally, what I'd love to see happen, though, is to have her be converted into something like the Russell Industrial Center in Detroit. Um, we've talked about the Russell before. I know I've done shows on the Russell. Um... You know, it, 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 it was once abandoned, and they turned it into this amazing place where there's customized business spaces. You've got studio spaces for artists, bands, and other groups. Um, you know, any trip to the Russell that anybody's ever taken, you know, you'll you'll, you'll know that place is full of life. Um, to hear and see Richmond in the same situation would be an amazing thing. To see this abandoned building turn into a place of creation and artistic expression, that'd be awesome. So I'm hoping someday, you know, whatever happens. Let's hope she never goes down that same road that so many of our other favorite buildings have seen. You know, we don't want her to disappear forever uh, like so many factories have gone down, you know, that road in the last few years. We hope that doesn't happen. Uh, we don't want to lose any more. Let's, 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 let's bring them back. Let's renovate them and, and continue their history. That's my point on that. So that is my story of the Great White Whale, folks. That, that, that is my tale of, of obsession, right? Um, I know we definitely went over this today. If you're still with me, thank you for sticking with me. I'm glad you're still here. I know this was a long one, but I had to get this out. Uh, my kids will tell you, you know, when I'm teaching, I will go on and on. When I'm passionate about something, it will go on and on. The story will go, and I get wordy. That's kind of how it goes. But uh, thank you for staying around. Thank you for sticking it out. Um, I had fun, so hopefully you did too. Anyway, that's all I got for today. Uh, the weekend is coming. I'm excited. Uh, I have some friends from Detroit coming down. We're going to do some exploring here in Cleveland and maybe hop down to Akron and Canton, Ohio for a little bit, see what's going on there. Uh, so it should be a full weekend, and if it's like it is today outside, it ought to be beautiful. Um, hopefully you have some cool things planned also out there. So I'm going to leave you guys today. Uh, have a great, great weekend. Get out there. Get exploring. Keep putting your awesome photographs out there. Keep on experimenting. Keep on exploring. Keep it going. All right, we'll see you in the next one. Have an awesome weekend. This is Mr. P signing off.